And welcome back, everybody, to the Carbide Podcast presented by Woody's Traction. This is the Ironwood Snowcross Review, first race of the year this past weekend. Looking to dive into it on the line to help us break down all the racing action from Team Southside, Bruce Almighty Media, Bruce Gaspardi Jr. How are we doing, Bruce? Doing good. How are you doing? I'm good, man, because I didn't have to pressure wash sleds and wash gear. So I'm good, but, you know, I feel bad for anybody that had to. Yeah, it was a, yeah, I, I'm, st- I'm still trying to dry off. And, you know, <laughs> I think it's the first time in my entire career that I had to do do laundry two nights in a row after the first <laughs> snowcross weekend. Like, I've, yeah, I feel bad for whoever uses that days in washing machine after we were done Ooh. with it with all that muddy gear. That's for sure. <laughs> Well, yeah, let's get into it. I mean, that was kind of the major headline going into the weekend. You know, obviously there's fast riders coming in, there's new teams, all this stuff, but at least here in the Midwest, we have not had ample either snow or snowmaking weather going into this weekend, but hats off to the ISOC team and the ops team at the mountain. We, we had a track, we went racing. Yeah, no, I mean, they, they did the best with what they had to work with, you know, um, the track, the track was super challenging for just about everybody. The conditions were not ideal. Um, but at the end of the day, yeah, we got to go racing and there was a lot of good racing to be had. So you were out there in the Pro-Am plus 30 class, which was highly competitive, but I'm just curious cause I haven't talked to anybody that rode it beyond just the track being gnarly. Like, was it crazy technical or just super whooped out and, and slushy? It was technical, you know, there was a lot of, a lot of edges underneath the snow, you know, mm-hmm. and, you know, I didn't have a lot of, t- a lot of time on a sled when I came over, I was, you know, I've been in Sweden for the last few weeks, getting, getting our program set up over there. So then we, Eden and I flew back here the Wednesday, um, Wednesday prior, did a quick Christmas thing with the fam and then flew out to uh, Aurora for three days of riding. So didn't have a super lot of confidence in myself or the sled. And then to go there with that track, it was definitely, it was definitely tough. Um, you know, Friday night had to go through the one, the LCQ, but had to go through the LCQ to make the main. Um, but it was, it was a, it was definitely a challenging track. Kind of felt like an old school East coast track with the, mm-hmm. with the, the amount of amount of snurt that was out there, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was, it was nice to get out there and get one under the belt. That's for sure. One of the things that you and I didn't really touch on in our in our briefing, but I think it's worth bringing up because it's been only the case the last couple years, you know, probably for the last 20 years or so, you're coming in that first round. Most people only have maybe a week on the sled, but most people that had the ability to and were able to ride, there was a lot of people coming into this round with a month on the sled. Like those people were, you know, despite the track conditions, a lot of people were were ready for it. Yeah, it's... um you know, there was a lot of people riding overseas, you know, um, mm-hmm. team wall A's had been open for a few weeks, but you know, part of the problem over there is it's so cold right now that, uh, a lot of the guys don't want to fire up the groomers. So mm-hmm. you go, you drive somewhere to practice and then they might not be able to practice that day. Cause it's too cold to, to groom the track. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I mean, Aurora was open for weeks, you know, this preseason. So, I mean, you had a lot of guys up there putting a lot of time, a lot of seat time in before this round. And, um, it definitely showed, you know, you could, you could see who had, for the most part, you could see who had seat time and who didn't. Yep. For sure. For sure. Yeah. I know, uh, I know the labels had been open for a while too. So a lot of the Canadians have been riding for a long time, at least the guys that didn't make it down. So, um, yeah, definitely, definitely a lot of seat time for guys going into this round. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It, um, and I mean, I guess luckily they had it because that was, it was, it was a gnarly track. It was a mm-hmm. gnarly track. And, you know, if, uh, you know, we saw, we saw some really good guys come off the sled over the course of the weekend that don't usually come off their sleds. So mm-hmm. that, um, that shows you how tough it was out there. Well, let's get right into it then. We'll start with, uh, with the sport class and, you know, for, for a lot of years, the sport class really showed us a lot of diversity. There's definitely been a lot of a lot of talent in that class, and I think at least the opening round between Friday and Saturday was was no exception. I mean, six different guys across the podium in two days, and 
and a lot of good battles between the heat races and the finals. So in a lot of ways, I think sport was just kind of living up to what everybody thinks it will. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to have, to have the mix that you had between, you know, Peterson winning one night, Freeland winning the next night, you've got, you've got three guys tied for the points lead right now between Freeland, Nelson, and then our Southside rider, Josh Connolly. Um, you know, it is, it's just going to be a super competitive class all week, all, all season. So it is, it's going to be a lot of fun to watch and see how that all plays out. Yeah. I think, uh, between, between Dylan, the bell, and obviously he's coming into that class with, a with a lot of, a lot of expectations just with how he's finished the last couple of years. So he's going to be one to watch. And then, yeah, Freeland was kind of on rails for that, uh, for that Saturday day. So going to be interesting to watch in the sport class for the rest of the year for sure yeah it um yeah i mean it, you know anybody with the last name the labelle they just have extra expectations on them it seems like so <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah for sure for sure one of the things i did notice particularly in the sport class and you know it definitely definitely trickled down to the other classes but at least at least for friday uh really really one lined particularly at the bottom of the hill kind of that uh, horseshoe turn right before the finish line really really one line there were some guys trying to make that outside line work but even as whooped out as the inside was that was still significantly faster yeah the you know the the berm the the inside line berms were so high you could kind of jump into the first one and then shoot across and then just kind of carry your speed through the second one so it did it really it really made it almost impossible to gain any time rail on the outside just because of how built up that inside line was. Um, yeah, it did. It, it made for, it made for tough passing. You know, the, the really the, the main place you were going to pass was the, you know, the, the dog leg up at the top of the hill because those two lines were pretty, pretty even. If you carried that outside speed, you could beat the guy to the, to the top of the rhythm section mm -hmm. because the inside was so hold out and, you couldn't really jump through it and you know most of the classes um but yeah i know it it did it it made for uh made it made it tough yeah you know we touched on it a little bit but there's not a ton of opportunities to kind of differentiate yourself in this obviously that that downhill rhythm was you know make or break for a lot of people but one of the interesting things that we were seeing in the sport class was guys trying to triple out of that finish line and it there were some rounds where you could totally do it and some rounds where guys were just casing it. But by the end of the weekend, casing it was still faster than tabling the finish line and then ripping out. It was it was pretty entertaining to watch some of the guys try and send that. Yeah, I mean, the the, the best part was was Friday night because they kept um, for for the dominator, they kept building up that that big. I don't know. It was, it was basically a huge single after the finish mm -hmm. line that you would just send as far as you could wanted to go. And they left that there for the pro plus 30 final. And it was, that was the most fun on the whole track because <laughs> you were just to the bar sending it up the hill after the finish line. It was sick. So you didn't try and triple it, Bruce. That's what you're saying. No, no, no. <laughs> I'm saving that for the, I'm saving that for the points races for me. Oh, gotcha. You, yeah, you are going to bust it out. Something in the bag, you know, <laughs> Oh man. Well, uh, yeah. We, any other uh, comments for the sport class before you move on? No, I, you know, I just gotta, gotta give a shout out to, to my, my rider, Josh Connolly there to get a pair of fifths in the pair of fifths in that, in that class is a big deal. And to be tied for the points lead with two really good guys and Freeland and Nelson. Um, I'm super happy for him. So Josh Connolly, New Hampshire's own. Gotta love yeah. it. Yeah. Making the switch to the Polaris for the season too. How did he manage to keep the number four? How'd they let him do that? I'm curious. They didn't make uh, him get a three digit. Ah, uh, yeah, I don't know. That's a. Uh, mm. I mean, he's been he's been that number forever. So I, I guess nobody else had it, and they <laughs> they weren't going to argue with him about it. <laughs> oh man. Well, let's uh, let's move into pro light because at least in in my mind, this is where where most of the action was for this weekend and. You know, I, I hate the expression, you know, hashtag deep field. But to me, that's the only thing I think of when I think of pro light this year is just a ton of basically 15 guys on the line in a final that all think they can win, think they should win and probably could win. That's kind of my my overall thoughts on pro light right now. 
Yeah, I mean, that is, I mean, you know, the field is just, it's stacked. And I mean, when you, you just, just to look at who was in, in the LCQ on Saturday, you know, Evan Christian, Kenny Mandrick, Oscar England, you know, um, the one, three motorsports entry there, uh, Jeremy, uh, blue. Yep. Yeah. You know, I mean, you had a lot of good guys in there and only five of them were going to the main. So mm -hmm. it's, it is, it's, um, you know, if you're not, you know, three, three in it or two, three in it in the qualifiers, you're going to end up in the LCQ and it's not going to be an easy trip to get to the main. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We've, we've seen in the past where, you know, guys getting, getting one, one is, you know, it's kind of a given for some guys in some years, just cause they're going to be obviously the elite town in that class, but you know, guys like Eric Downs or even Posty coming out and, and winning a race is even more impressive this year than it might've been in the past. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's some really, really good, and there's some really good rookies in there. Obviously one of them won the, won the final Saturday and made mm -hmm. the dominator Friday. Um, it is, there's just, there's no, there's no easy heat. It's not like when you're, yeah. you know, you know, I used to, you know, when you walk up to the, to the heat sheet board and you're looking, it's like, Oh yeah, I, I feel good about this heat. You know, it's, <laughs> I got, I got the easy one. And then you look at the pro light lineup and it's like, there's no easy heat. Like mm -mm. it's, um, yeah, it's, it is, it's just a, it's a stacked field and there's so many guys in that class that can win a final this, this year. It's going to be, it's going to be a super fun year to watch that class and see, see how that develops. And there was definitely, there was quite a few storylines just, you know, racing aside coming into this round, you know, Anson Scheel first uh, race on cheering speed sports, Nick Lorenz over at the West coast customs team first year on a skidoo, obviously Creighton Dillon moving up, uh, Adam Ashline's back new team with elite motorsports, a lot of storylines of just, yes, there's a ton of guys that are super talented, but also a ton of guys on new sleds, on new programs, trying to get that all figured out in a super gnarly track in a really competitive field. Yeah. I mean, you know, and then, you know, you've got Tyler Archambault, he moved up. Mm -hmm. You've got Oscar England, you know, uh, back this year and healthy. Um, and it is, you know, you know, half the, half the thing was just, I think, just trying to survive the weekend, you know, cause mm -hmm. you know, I think people, you know, this is definitely an outlier as far as a national is concerned to be oh, yeah. 40 degrees and raining and mud. So get through the weekend, keep yourself in one piece and, and come out swinging for rounds three and four. Mm -hmm. But there is, you know, it was, there was a lot of big questions coming into the weekend with, with, like you said, the new teams, the new programs, the new guys moving up, swap, swapping brands. It was, it was a lot of storylines coming in. You know, it was nice to see Lorenz uh, adjust, seemed like pretty well to his, to his new ski, West Coast Custom ski do. Um, and it was nice to see a couple of those rookies that moved up into the class show that they belong. Yeah. And, and moving into the, you know, the, the final, which was action packed to say the least, because there was, again, a lot of guys and, we didn't touch on it uh, yet to this point, but you know, all most of these heat races and and everybody else, you know, the lower levels, we're talking three lap heat races, five lap mains, five lap qualifiers. There, there wasn't a ton of opportunity to really come up on lappers, and I think in the the pro light final was kind of the first real uh, instance that we got to see of that. So, uh, a lot of guys kind of getting around really quickly and kind of bunching up towards the back of the field. Adam Ashline kind of takes that early lead and, and for a little while you thought he was going to kind of run away with it, but, uh, yeah, definitely, definitely a lot going on in that final for sure. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was awesome to see, to see Ashline running up front, you know, obviously, you know, team cell sides raced against him for a long time out here in the East, uh, you know, junior class, sport class, pro light class. So to see him come out of retirement and, and lead almost half the final, it was, mm -hmm. it was super, super cool to see, especially being, you know, a fellow East coast guy. For sure. For sure. Um, I felt a lot of heartache for Archambault though. Oh with, yeah. Uh, with the sled failure there. Second lap leading the race. I, uh, yeah, that was, I feel, I feel for him. Cause that was, he, I feel like he had the pace to stay on, at least stay on the box. Oh, so for sure. Have the opportunity to do that. Yeah. Hopefully, you know, luckily he was okay. And hopefully he can 
bounce back in in a few weeks. Yeah, that was definitely tough to see. He was kind of throwing a wrench in a lot of some of the predictions throughout the throughout the week. I don't think he was on a ton of people's kind of leaderboards or or their fantasy teams, if you will. But uh, <laughs> yeah, he was he was definitely out there, and yeah, it was unfortunate to see him bust up that arm because I think he would have he would have been a podium guy, and I think he will continue to be a podium guy. It just would have been nice to kind of get the year started off that way. Yeah, exactly. Yep. So elephant in the room in the pro light class, obviously Creighton Dillon. Um, you know, I'll be the first to tell you, I knew he was going to be fast, but I didn't think he was going to be that fast. And I didn't think he was going to come out swinging this early. I thought he would take a couple rounds, be a top five guy all day long and just kind of get his feet wet. Cause you know, we see this with a lot of guys that are younger and they move up, they have raw speed, but they can't quite figure out basically when to push, when to not. But Creighton Dillon made a lot of really smart passes. He held back when he should. He took off when he should. And incredibly impressive uh, win in that final. I think the the ending number was like 19 seconds ahead of uh, second place in that final. I think he lapped up to eighth place. And with all that lap traffic, just brutal. So uh, incredibly impressive ride for Creighton Dillon. Yeah, and I mean, and he, you know, he, he didn't, he didn't, he didn't take the lead from Ashline until lap, you know, like lap seven or lap eight. So I mean, he pulled out mm-hmm. basically twenty seconds over the rest of the field in half the race. Mm-hmm. So I mean, it just, yeah, I mean, the that sled was working really good for him, and clearly, whatever he's been doing in the preseason, it it showed. Yep, for sure, for sure. As long as he can, uh, as long as he can keep his brakes for a whole main event because i that's he's got some some issue tendencies when you see him coming by man that that rotor is on fire so um as long as he can keep that stuff together he's going to be in for a for a fast season for sure yeah i i totally agree you know and uh i gotta gotta give it up to the scandinavian there toppy posty you know making the switch to warner this year and, and coming away with a with a fifth place in the final that was a really good showing for him. You know, I think he's, I think he can definitely build on that. He's got a lot of speed. Obviously he made, you know, made the dominator. So, you know, I, I'm looking forward to seeing what, what uh, Warnett can do with developing him as a rider. Cause they, they do do a really good job bringing the best out of those pro light riders and those Scandinavian riders. Yeah. And I think there's something to be said and I'm not like, not saying Scandinavian guys can't handle it or aren't used to it, but like this, this track was super whooped out for kind of anybody's, you know, anybody's eyes, but the North American guys have probably ridden tracks this whooped out and this gnarly way more times. So I'm again, really impressed of, of some of these guys that came over and maybe their first time seeing holes this deep or seeing tracks this whooped out and still being fast and still putting it all together. So um, Posty's a, a prime example of that. Yeah, and like I, I spent all last season over there, and I didn't, I didn't, I, I don't think I saw mud in the pits ever, <laughs> mud on the track ever. So I don't, yep. I don't think they've seen it before either. <laughs> <laughs> for sure, for sure. Um, any last comments on uh, Pro Light before we move on? Man, I, I'm just looking forward to it. You know, there's just there is there's just so many, so many good guys in that class that can that can get on the box that can win. It's just, it is, it's going to be in any given Sunday kind of scenario. And mm-hmm. I'm definitely looking forward to seeing who, who else can get on that box and, yep. and whatnot. Cause it is, it's going to be super exciting. I wanted to kind of give a, a shout out to, to Bailey Forrest. Cause just, uh, it's kind of unique seeing him up there. Obviously he's fast enough, but just, in a in a field of semis and factory teams to see Bailey Forrest get up there and and be on the podium was was pretty cool so uh, hats off to him yeah and i mean you know you know you've got seven of the top 10 being yellow sleds so <laughs> that uh you know the odds seemed like they were against him so for him to get on the mm-hmm. box that was it was a really good ride for Bailey for sure for sure so moving into into pro women which you know, we'll talk about Friday because that was kind of the the biggest thing and the biggest storyline was um, in the final. Malene jumped the start. She was black flagged basically around that first corner, and 
you know, Anana Hauger always gets great starts anyway. So she was going to put herself in that position to maybe benefit from that black flag or at least battle for that win anyway. But that that black flag definitely put a wrench in in the entire final for pro women. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it um I mean, it kind of made the race made the racing more exciting for sure. Watching Maylene have to having to try to come up through that field. Um mm-hmm. On that on a track that that was you know that was super technical like that, so you know it was uh it was it was a good race and it was it was a great ride by Anana Hogger there. It was nice to see her get the win and um, start the season off like that. That was super super exciting. Um, and then you know Tasha on her West Coast ski do West Coast Custom mm-hmm. ski do coming home second. That was nice. Uh, and then. Uh, Southside's own Cecily Bernanchi getting the third place. Uh, you know, coming out, coming back from the ACL injury last winter and being able to get on the box the first night. That was Cecily was super pumped and the whole team was super pumped. So hopefully we can keep going with that. Yeah, you were telling me this because I didn't know this storyline, I hadn't heard it brought up. So Maline got uh, she got DQ'd after the final. That that's what that's what was said as I guess um, from from what was what was said was that uh, the they did not go through tech um, after the uh, after the podium stuff and they ended up they ended up disqualifying her. Mm, okay, okay. Which that that moved Cecily from fourth into third. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, that's 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 good for cecily it's definitely just uh unfortunate for maline because i mean she rode from basically dead last up through third in a in a pretty short short event so you know finishing aside it was a really impressive ride for her no doubt yeah absolutely mm-hmm. on uh for for saturday's uh main event for pro women just kind of back to the status quo in a in a lot of ways um you know inana hauger gets a gets another nasty hole shot uh, Tasha Lang's right there, but yeah, ultimately, uh, Maline comes through for the pass just before that finish line there and kind of runs away with it. But, uh, yeah, it was, uh, I think Friday was definitely more eventful Saturday kind of showed a little more what some of the true colors of what I think pro-am women or pro women's going to look like for the rest of the year. So, um, but it was a, it was a good race to watch for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It was nice to see Blossom get on the box. Mm-hmm. Um, McCurdy had a good race. And then, um, uh, Ida Roselle, our, our girl from Sweden came over for the, and this was her first ever weekend racing sleds over here and racing with studs. Um, mm-hmm. so she only had a few days to kind of get a feel for that up in, up at Shearing's place at the climb compound. So for her to come home fifth Saturday night, we were super happy about, you know, she, uh, she rode dirt bikes a lot this summer and ended up dislocating her knee in, uh, late October, um, hunting and luckily was able to still be able to race. We got, got some new knee braces and was able to race. And so for her to, for her to bring home fifth at Ironwood, we were super pumped about. Awesome. Awesome. So I think, uh, it wasn't on the list, but I think we should definitely touch on, uh, Pro Am plus thirty because there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of action in there and I think the well, yeah the, I was out there the, <laughs> well you and uh, you and Matt Greenwood so between you guys like we have ninety percent of the snowmobile media on the line there like it's yeah it's got to be something right yeah we need to do some in race commentary mic us up <laughs> while we're out there <laughs> uh, yeah we we were chatting about it uh, a little bit before we hit record but yeah between Andy leaders and uh and core and Todd like oh my god like there's there's some really entertaining racing uh in pro am plus 30 right now yeah i mean i i feel like you know from like fourth place back it was kind of anybody's race mm-hmm. but the uh the top three between Corin leaders and bowerly was kind of kind of set in stone it was just a matter of who was gonna round out the top five <laughs> more or less um but i had a lot of fun you know i had, it was my first time racing most of those guys and i had a lot of fun mm-hmm. being out there with them um and i you know i gave corinne crap all week about him running that class and 
this and that. And uh, I had, I, like I said before, I don't think I've lined up against Corinne since I was probably like 14 or 15 years old and we were in like juniors or sport together. Yeah. So <laughs> it, uh, yeah, but it was, it was fun to root for him while I was out there. Uh, and it was really cool to see him get the win on Friday night, you know, considering mm-hmm. the, the hard time he had getting to the track between truck braking couldn't go to Aurora, had to drive straight to Ironwood, never rode the sled and to go out there and, and, and sweep the day. It's just like, Oh my God, this is awesome. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, uh, we, we chatted about it a little bit before, but, uh, yeah. So you guys posted the, like on social media, the lineups of, you know, who was racing for you guys that weekend. And I had shared it on Instagram and then, uh, Tucker Kierstad messaged me. He's like, Hey, just so you know, that's me on core and sled. <laughs> Cause he hasn't even sat on the damn thing before this weekend. <laughs> so even more yeah, impressive for Corin. You know, I was taking, I was taking as many pictures as I could up in Aurora because I couldn't get myself a media pass for the, because of the rules that had changed for ISOC. So mm-hmm. it's like, well, I got to take as many as I can while I'm here. And it's like, okay, well now I want to do our team post of who's racing this weekend. And I have no pictures of Corin. So mm-hmm. I, I had a, I had a lot of good ones at Tucker. So I just picked one and Photoshopped the number and the name on the sled and, <laughs> and slapped it up there. Oh man, that's, that's great. You know, but, but Tucker should be pumped that I used his picture for Corin <laughs> Dodd, you know? Oh yeah. It, that was, that's going to be a cool class to, to watch for the rest of the year. I think I know you had mentioned that's kind of tentatively the game plan is for, for corn to kind of make a make a push to do most of the nationals if not all of them in that class so it's going to be uh it's going to be an awesome uh class for the rest of the year for sure yeah yeah you know for him to be able to do that without any time on the sled on a technical track like that i'm i'm pumped to see once he kind of gets some seat time under him and and feels comfortable Mm -hmm. so yeah. One thing you mentioned there that we didn't even discuss, but I do want to bring it up um, because it was kind of controversial at the time. So Gary Walton, longtime Ride X365, he had posted that he was not granted a media pass. And, uh, you know, the Carbide podcast is this massive uh, media powerhouse, as you guys know. We are we are the voice of maybe like three people in the snowmobile world. So we, too, applied for a uh, media pass because Bruce was going to go get a bunch of pictures. And Bruce, too, was denied a media pass. So without throwing anybody under the bus, Bruce, and taking shots, what was kind of the reasoning that you were given of why you didn't get a media pass? Uh, from, from what I was told, it was because, um, some things had changed with how the, the insurance was working and they were trying to cut back on, cut down on costs so that, you know, if you couldn't, if you couldn't commit to, you know, shooting at least six of the weekends of the nine weekends, they didn't want to basically foot your insurance bill or however that works on the ISR side of things to have you out on the track, regardless mm-hmm. of if you'd been taking pictures for a weekend or if you'd been doing it like Gary Walton for the last 15 years, mm-hmm. um, they didn't want to let you out. They didn't want to have you out there, which to me was, you know, super disappointing, you know, cause I was going to shoot for, for you. And then I was supposed to shoot pictures for snow rider magazine over in Sweden to try to get mm-hmm. some, push some coverage the other way. Yeah, And, um, so to not be able to take pictures all weekend was definitely disappointing. You know, usually I'm taking four or 5,000 pictures a weekend and I didn't take my camera out of the bag. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was, that was, that was disappointing. You know, I hope, I hope moving forward, ISOC can find a way to allow more people to take pictures because I mean, too, I mean, there wasn't a lot of people there taking pictures with media stuff on. So, I mean, you've got, mm-hmm. you've got record number of entries. And obviously most of those people want pictures or video content, Mm -hmm. but if you only got, you know, a handful of people out there offering their services, once they get booked, they're booked. So now you're out there and you have nothing to show your sponsors at the end of the weekend. If you didn't book your photographer a month in advance. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it was a tough scenario. Um, just kind of even knowing the backstory a little bit and just, just thinking to Gary and how he probably kind of got shafted a little bit at the last minute, but 
Yeah, hopefully, uh, hopefully that can change for the rest of the year. Obviously, it only benefits all of us if there's more media coverage and we can get more pictures and stuff like that. So hopefully yeah, we can get a change. You, when you watch Supercross and you see 30 or 40 media guys standing on the side of the giant triple and rhythm section, I feel like we can find a way to hopefully safely have more media, especially you know when you have a big infield like we usually have at races mm-hmm. to be able to to showcase snowcross more. I mean, we, we need more exposure, not less, you know, that's why you're doing what you're doing. That's why Greenwood's doing what he's doing. I'm trying to do what I'm doing. You know, we need, we need more exposure for the sport, for the riders, for the teams, for the sponsors and partners. And it's hard to do that when you only have a few guys out there. For sure. For sure. Attention snowmobile racers. When it comes to dominating the track, trust the experts at Woody's Traction and Control. Their cutting-edge products are engineered for peak performance, providing unmatched grip and control in every turn. Don't let the competition catch up. Upgrade your sled with Woody's Traction and Control products today. Visit www.woodystraction.com and experience the winning difference. Woody's Traction and Control, where precision meets victory on the snow. So let's move on into some talk about the Dominator on Friday night. So... Dominator has always been a really interesting event in a lot of ways. It's definitely a lot of action, but it also kind of maybe some misleading things about guys being fast. So it's always interesting to kind of see how it pans out, but uh, definitely some interesting headlines going into it. A lot of things that were kind of, kind of unexpected and, and a lot of guys obviously impressing a lot of people. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was nice to see how many guys signed up to try to get in, mm-hmm. you know, you had, I think you had over 30 guys trying to trying to get the second, you know, the, you know, the, the eight spots you could qualify for. So that was, that was cool to see that you had that many guys thinking they could, they had a shot at the money. So, and I think there were some surprises as far as, you know, some pro light guys sneaking in and doing well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Some of the, some of the main call outs I had just, you know, Creighton Dillon, beating Dan Benham in round one, which was, you know, it would become not necessarily a surprise when Creighton Dillon would win in pro light. But at that exact moment, it was really kind of shocking. Um, Posty beating Peltier in round one as well. That was really impressive. So yeah, to your point about the pro light guys, like the, the dominator does not discriminate against uh, headlight covers. It's, it's guys (laughs) who are really good with starts and really fast. Yeah. And, and, you know, you had Lorenz, getting in there too mm-hmm. so uh yeah no it was cool to see a few pro light guys get in there and then and especially two of them get get wins and move on to the second round for sure for sure and yeah it's you know we're, we're gonna get into this with with salston and his victory of course but it's just kind of interesting going back and watching it like just kind of quietly navigating his way through all these qualifiers like not not blowing anybody's doors off, just slowly winning his rounds. And then he comes out with the heat in the final and, uh, and takes the win in the final. So that was, that was just wild to watch. And I'll let you, I'll let you be on your high horse, Bruce, and tell us that you knew how fast he was and you knew he could do this and you've seen it for years. But for a lot of us, that was really, really surprising and really impressive. (laughs) Well, (laughs) I mean, first off, I did pick him to podium in my snow goer fantasy <laughs> fantasy lineup, you know. So, you know, after after watching him all last winter and just seeing him win, 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 dominate, win, it was like, oh my god! And um, you know, I feel like when he was here, when he was in the states last winter, you know, he did okay, you know, but he, he never finished better than eighth in a final, and you know, he was just. He was out there. He was competitive, but he wasn't like it didn't look like the guy that I watched race every weekend when he was back mm-hmm. in back in Scandinavia. And mm-hmm. you know, you know, seeing what he did all last year in in Sweden and all over Europe and just dominating for yeah. almost every time he went out. And um, you know, we um, when we went to the fourth round of the the Swedish championship and big psyllium, there was a really nasty uphill rhythm section and watching him go through that 
and just drive away from the entire rest of the field and lapping up to lapping up to third place. It was just like, wow. And then, you know, we go to Kirkening's couple, you know, a month and a half later for the world championship. And he's out there on the track with Bester, with Elias, with Narsa, with Aki. And he's holding his own and, and running up there and finishes third overall. You know, I, I knew he could come over here if he was, you know, if he had the time to get ready and be confident on what he was riding and do something. So for him mm-hmm. to show up in Ironwood on with a new team in elite in elite motorsports and and go out there and, and do that, it was it was awesome to see. There's no other way around it. You know, obviously plenty of people have been watching now Elias now for five years in a row, win championships here and uh Har have a good year last year. Norum, you know, two years ago be be really good and countless other Scandinavians. But it's nice to show everybody that oh, there's still more that are on their way over here that can mm-hmm. win. So it was it was really cool to see him go out there and and take that ten grand. Yeah, it was definitely a, a great storyline for him. And then, as you mentioned, also his team with with Elite Motorsports, new outfit for those guys, new team this year, and really just just coming in hot with with him winning there in the Dominator, and then obviously uh, Adam Ashline in the pro light class, highly competitive. So those guys definitely, definitely made an impression this, uh, this first weekend for sure. Yeah. And then the, the chemistry between the two of them seems to be really good. I had, I had asked Ashline what he thought of Gustav and I'd asked Gustav what he thought of Ashline. And they both, they both seem to get along with each other really well. So I think the, um, I think that chemistry in the trailer is going to help take them both a long ways this year. And I, cause it, it seems like they're going to work together really, really well sure absolutely so moving past the dominator there was you know obviously an actual pro round and uh, heats that we can talk about so uh, one of the ones that i definitely called out which was really cool to watch there was one heat that had uh, elias issue jordan labelle and salston all in that that heat so you knew there was going to be some good battling ultimately labelle ends up taking the the heat race win i think nine and a half or 9.4 seconds over elias issue and you know, say what you want about it's a heat race and it doesn't matter and yada, 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 but still really cool to see those three guys lined up next to each other and really see who's got the speed to hang. Yeah. I mean, you know, you know, it's been, it's been the talk for two years now basically is, you know, what's what, you know, is LaBelle that next guy who's going to walk into pro class and do what Elias did, you know, five years ago and just, drive away from people and Mm -hmm. so it was it was pretty cool to see you know friday night him show some speed in dominator and then saturday night go out there and and take that round one heat win against you know he had elias out there he had pat note in there he had norm and salston and bester he had a lot of fast guys in there and for him to go out there and take the fastest lap and win by over nine seconds was was impressive sure for sure tough weekend for uh for dan benham he had a dnf in uh in one of the heat races and i think he must have had an off in the final so tough showing for dan benham but we know uh we know he's good for it we know he'll bounce back i think the the elephant in the room for the pro final and we'll have to get into it obviously jordan labelle's uh light issue his brake light issue um obviously wasn't working on the starting line they have what uh two minutes to try and resolve that issue right then and there if not they have to pull out and let the race continue unfortunately they did not get it resolved in that time and they had to uh pull over and basically let the race start without them so that was really unfortunate they did get that uh seat swapped out but uh yeah he basically entered the race one lap down which was really unfortunate yeah i mean you know you know, I've been friends with, with Jordan's mechanic there, Kyle Sackett, for a long time. We raced together for a long time out in the East, and um, and he's a phenomenal mechanic. And so, you know, that light thing is, it's just a, it's a fluke thing. You know, it can happen to anybody. And, you know, the way the, the way the starting line was set up and how far away you were from the pits and the, the mud and everything you had to go through to get all the way back to your trailer, get a different seat, get it all the way back up the hill. 
yeah, it was a insurmountable task for anybody. Um, but it was nice to see them get it fixed and get the sled out there. And, you know, Jordan was able to, you know, he was the, he had the third fastest lap out there behind Elias and Har. So, you know, even a lap down in traffic, he was the third fastest, he had the third fastest lap. So clearly that, that Warner sled has a lot of speed and, and Jordan has a lot of speed. Yeah. We had chatted about a little bit, uh, early on, but yeah, just basically with the track layout and only 30 second lap times, by the time that seat got swapped and he pulled out, he basically pulled out right at Elias to the point the announcers were wondering what happened. They thought he was up there battling him, but you know, if the lap times are maybe like 40 seconds or 45 and he's got like a five second gap over Elias when Jordan comes in and, and starts racing, that's probably a very different story. He's probably getting farther up the field than that. He just unfortunate of the timing, how long it takes to do that swap and just how short the track is basically started, started a lap down right from the get go. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely, definitely a bummer for them, but you know, it, like I said, it could happen to anybody and I'm sure they'll, they'll bounce back. Clearly they, clearly the speed is there. It was mm -hmm. just a fluke issue that I'm sure won't happen again. For sure. For sure. Moving up front though, uh, guys that didn't have a ton of issues, obviously Elias Ishul just, again, I don't think anybody, I think we expected him to be, to be really, really fast, obviously coming in healthy for the first time. And I don't know how long. But coming in healthy, definitely going to be a dominant guy, but not to the level that he dominated this round. Yeah, to you know, to put, to lap all the way up to the fifth place and put twenty-seven plus seconds over Cody Cam in third place, it was a, it was a statement race. It was mm -hmm. a, you know, yeah, you know, I think, uh, you know, he had, he had some bad luck in in Norway when he was, you know, he was two minutes away from being world champion and he, and he came off the sled mm -hmm. and then, um, had to settle for second and then to, you know, have that, have that off Friday night in the dominator, uh, in the second round against, uh, Salston. I think he came into Saturday with a little bit of a chip and went out there and just, yeah, he put a statement in that he is, he's here and he's healthy. Yep. And I, and I think too, just the, the style of this track, just super rough whooped out. And it wasn't really like a, like the rhythm wasn't really, it wasn't really about style. It was just about pounding and staying on the sled. This track suited Elias really, really well, I think. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it showed, mm -hmm. I mean, you know, you know, Har, Har kept him, kept him honest, you know, being, being four or five seconds back from him, but. Yeah, to, to lap over half the field was impressive. You know, that's that's just, you know, to come out of the come out of the gate round one and lap up to fifth place. It's gonna be it, you know, people got three weeks to get get stuff together and go to Canterbury or it's gonna be a long season. <laughs> for sure. For sure. Yeah, and and I think, you know, for the guys on the podium, they obviously had to had to keep themselves on the sled and there was an element of, of skill and those guys obviously separated themselves. But as you kind of just look back in the pack and you see all the, the top level guys that are back in the field, I think you can't write off this weekend, of course, but if you, if you're one of these guys that finished outside the top 10 on this weekend, in a lot of ways, it's a little bit of a fluke just cause it's a, it's a unique scenario where 32nd lap time, super whooped out, guys are going to get lapped. Elias was on a different level, but this is kind of like Deadwood. Like there's only a few guys that are really going to be on rails and really, really fast. Everybody else is just going to be out there surviving. So I don't think it's a knock to anybody else, but uh, yeah, I think that's going to be the case. No, absolutely. You know, I mean, obviously, you know, Norm, Norm hadn't been on a sled in probably 11 months. Um, mm -hmm. Ogmar, I don't think he rode at all in Aurora before he showed up to Ironwood. Mm -hmm. So, you know, obviously LaBelle had the light issue. Benham came off the sled. Peterson had an issue. You know, it's, it is, you know, and just like you said, at some point it just becomes, let's survive this final and move on. 
Yeah. Um, Cause you're not, you can't win the championship on the first weekend, but you can certainly hurt yourself and be, and, <laughs> and miss the rest of the year. For sure. For so sure. It was, uh, it was nice to see uh, Evan Dada and Riley Bester finish seventh and eighth in their, their pro debuts. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, I got to hang out with Riley some last, last April when he, when him and Adam came over to Norway and had a lot of fun together. So it was, it was cool to see him move up and, and take eighth place in the, in the first weekend. Yep. Also cool to see uh, Taylor McCoy making the drive down. We know, we don't see a ton of CSRA guys make the trip down. So, um, I mean, it's not like a real barometer of CSRA versus ISOC. It's just cool to see guys from different series racing each other. I I'm always down to see that. Yeah, no, I mean, it's all, it was always great back in the day when you had, you know, whether, you know, Hayden or Kunishish or, you know, Watkinson come down and race. So it was, it was nice to see McCoy make the trip down and, and get out there and go bar to bar with those guys. Yep. Uh, one name we didn't, we didn't really touch on a ton. Uh, Evan doubt made his pro debut with the, the true North uh, boss team on a skidoo. Just again, guys, crazy talented, just, just tough, tough circumstance, super gnarly track, new class, new sled. I expect him to to get better as the years as the year goes on, but uh, definitely nothing to write home about for Evan Doubt. No, but I mean he was was a top finishing rookie, you know, mm-hmm. with the seven place finish. So, you know, it's, it, clearly he he found some speed on that on his new ski do and and feels good. So it's nice to see him in the mix. For sure, for sure. So, a big part of a uh, big part of this show is is Woody's traction helping us kind of bring this podcast to, to more ears and make it better and better. So you got to pick one rider from the whole weekend, Bruce, who is your Woody's stud of the weekend? Boy, you know, for, for me, it's either Elias or Salston, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give it to Salston. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think plenty of people picked Elias to win this weekend and obviously he did. I don't think many people picked Salston to win the Dominator and be top five mm-hmm. on Saturday. So I gotta, I gotta give it to Salston. You know, new team comes in, takes the ten grand, leaves with a top five finish on Saturday. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a Woody Woody stud performance in my in my opinion. <laughs> I uh, I can't argue with you really because for me it was kind of a toss up between Salston or Creighton Dillon. So I'm gonna go. Creighton Dillon on this one only just because we see a lot of, you know, sport champions bump up or really fast sport guys bump up and they're, they're top five guys immediately a lot of times, but they don't come out and just wax the field the first round, particularly in a, in a track that rough. So I was really impressed with him. I, I'm just, he, he reminds me, at least in this race, he reminds me a little bit of Elias just because he's kind of like wild child out there. Like he just just pounding these rhythms and stuff like that. So I'm going to be interested to see how he rides in pro light on a track that he has to be a little more smooth and see how that goes. But was definitely uh, really impressed with with Dylan this opening round. Yeah, no, he, he did. He wrote he he wrote great all weekend, you know, and. You know, we obviously, everyone's expecting Canterbury to be more stereotypical to what Canterbury usually is and ISOC usually is. So it'll be interesting to talk about, talk about these guys after rounds three and four in a few weeks and see if people, if these guys are still up front or if we've got new names to talk about. Mm-hmm. For sure. Well, a couple closing thoughts um, as we wrap it up here, Bruce. So some of my comments here that I noticed just kind of watching from the couch because um, I pretty much watch the live stream the entire day, um, both days. But a I'm lot of blo- drier than I did. <laughs> yeah, I have zero complaints that I was sitting at home on the couch uh, watching Snowcross. But uh, a lot of black flags this weekend, like a lot of a lot of people jumping and it was they were not letting anything, anything by. Um, so a lot of black flags. And one thing that I noticed and we touched on it a little bit, but there's nothing they can do about it. But the location that they chose to call the black flags, that corner right before the rhythm section on the downhill, you basically had two lines funneling into each other. 
So anybody getting the black flag had to pull off on top of the berm. There's no clean way to get back in. So, um, you know, usually you get a black flag, you pull off, you let three people go or four people go, whatever, you come back on. That was just not the ideal location for somebody to get a black flag. Yeah, no, I mean, obviously, you know, first race, first race weekend jitters. And, you know, like we talked about all evening here, you know, stacked fields, you know, a lot of guys can win in a lot of races and you're trying to, trying to get that, that half a ski tip out ahead of them. And, you know, if you don't time it right, well, you're going to pay for it. And unfortunately it was a, it was a heavy toll to pay just the way this track Mm -hmm. was laid out. Like, like you talked about. Yeah. And we touched on a little bit earlier, but pretty one lined, uh, like as a whole, um, even as the the downhill rhythm would start to develop throughout the course of the day on Saturday, even if you could make the, the outside, which was a lot smoother, even if you could make that double, double work, if you could pound the inside, it was still significantly faster. So again, there was not a lot of snow. There were short lap times. There was going to develop a main line, but there wasn't a ton of passing opportunities out there unless you were just light years faster than somebody else. Yeah, you know, it was, it was, it was tough, but yeah, you know, uh, you know, Shabitsky and Strage, those guys, they all made the best of it. And, mm-hmm. you know, we got, we got to go racing, you know, only thing, only thing worse would have been flying all the way over from Sweden and then having to fly back to Sweden in that race. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would have sucked. That would have sucked for sure. Um, couple other call outs here gavin flurry another east coast guy Sportlight winner on uh, saturday super super cool to see that um obviously we touched on corin winning pro-am so that was awesome to see but uh yeah yeah and then we had um um oh we had then we had another east coast guy win one of the uh one of the junior classes there um uh duffy Camden Duffy getting the getting the win on Saturday. That was that was cool to see. So and then um, uh, Hampus Hoagland from Sweden getting on the uh, getting on the podium on on Friday in that class. That was cool. Mm-hmm. Nice to see him. Uh, his his father actually raced Duluth for me in like 2015 or 2014. <laughs> So it was, it's kind of neat to see his, his son out there and getting on the box in the junior class. So that was pretty cool. Uh, another one worth calling out Jacob Yerk P4. Really, really good to see that. Um, obviously a, a tough couple of years with, with injury and now he's on his own program with, with Kylo racing. So good dude puts in the work, just really hasn't been able to see the results um, in a while. So really cool to see him with P4. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, Yerk's a super good, super nice dude. And, you know, it's nice to see him healthy and, and turn in a good ride like that this weekend. And just having some green out there in the field, you know, I'm, I'm no Articat guy, but it's, it's, it's nice to see when it's nice to have all three, all three brands be competitive and whatnot. So to have all three brands in the top four in the pro class is, is good to see. It's good for the sport. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we got uh, Canterbury coming up in a couple weeks, January 12th and 13th. Are there any major things that we haven't covered already, Bruce, that you're really kind of looking forward to as we look forward to Canterbury? Well, uh, last year when they went to Can, when the series went to Canterbury, uh, Pat Node swept the finals in the pro class. Mm-hmm. So it'll be interesting to see uh, if he can, if he can, if he can keep that kind of kind of pace going, or uh, if Elias is going to pick up where he left off here this past weekend and continue to dominate. Uh, but Canada yeah, is always a, always a fantastic venue with the indoor seating and the, the, you know, the big triples on the backstretch, the dog leg. So, you know, it always makes for some really, really good racing there. So mm-hmm. I'm just, I'm excited to see, see what these guys can do on a track where, you know, it's, it's, there's more lines, more opportunities to pass bigger air, it should just be a really good weekend. Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to it as well. Um, it's one of the few rounds I ever actually make on a yearly basis. So um, I'll definitely be there looking forward to that. And yeah, like you said, just I don't want to take this. This whole weekend is not a fluke. It's not in a vacuum, but it's very unique circumstances for everybody. So you can't 
read a ton into it in my mind. There's like the top guys definitely separated themselves, but I don't think every class is as spread out as it looks on paper, not by any means. Yeah, yeah, it is. I'm that's why I'm 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 looking forward to seeing what happens in a few weeks when they when they go there because that is it's a there's a, there's always a lot of passing and a lot of big air, so it would be nice to it's going to be really fun to see what these guys can do and and how close or spread out this field really truly is. So we will 100% be there and doing a uh, a review pod for for Canterbury. I'll continue with my regular interviews and programming, but we'll also do a race review for Canterbury. But what else do you and I have uh, on the docket for the rest of the winter, Bruce? Um, you know, I'll I'll be back in Sweden, so planning on doing doing race recaps for every round of the every round uh, I go to over there. We got the Arctic Cat Cup. Um, at the end of beginning of February this year, it's actually late. Um, we've got uh, four rounds of the Swedish championship. We've got some stadium cross lined up over there. We've got uh, four, uh, four weekends of racing for Super League going to Bowden in Sweden at a, at a soccer arena, which we were at last year, which was a really dope venue for a snowcross race uh going to back to finland gonna have a round in norway and then wrapping up actually <laughs> memorial day weekend we'll be racing sleds again in austria <laughs> it's just so oh, weird today um but that that race is shaping up to be something really really special um mm-hmm. we're gonna have the the central european snowcross championships there on friday which is um that's the race series that kind of encompasses like Austria, Switzerland, and Italy. So they'll have their championship there on Friday and then Saturday and then Friday and Saturday will be super league racing their last two rounds of races. And I know they've extended the invitation to uh, all of the top guys and girls at ISOC. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the top 12, have been invited for pro pro light and pro women's to come over to Austria and line up against the best in Europe. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I think it could, it could be a pretty, pretty amazing weekend down there. Um, you know, we were there the first week of June last year and it was like, I don't know, 50 degrees, partly sunny and you're, uh, you're 6,500 feet up in the Alps. And it was, it was, it was a awesome venue. So, expanding it to encompass uh, two championships and then inviting over a bunch of the ISOC regulars. It should be a really cool weekend. And then uh, we've got through the, the FIM world championship returns this year. Uh, we've got the past probably five, six years. It's always just been one round of racing. So, you know, best guy that day is world champion for the FIM. Mm-hmm. Uh, prior to that, it was always kind of a two or three round format and they brought that back this year. So in early March, we're actually going to Turkey for the first time ever to race snowmobiles. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll be in Turkey for round one of the world championship. And then rounds two and three will be back to back weekends in the middle of April, uh, in, uh, Finland and Norway, I believe. So, okay. It should be, uh, and Norway will be up in Kirkenings again, where we were last year, which was uh, another really cool venue, literally right on the Arctic Ocean. It was just, you could stand on the tabletop and just look at the Arctic Ocean. It was just, it was just <laughs> a weird feeling. Um, so yeah, we got a lot lined up over there. So I'm, I'm looking forward to doing these race, re- race recaps with you for the ISOC stuff, all the European stuff, and then whatever, uh, whatever rounds of racing the East coast, no, uh, Eastern snowcross tour has. So should be a lot of fun, fun racing to talk about this winter. Yeah, no, no shortage of content. Uh, that's for sure. So definitely going to be, going to be fun. So, uh, make sure everybody tunes back in every, every week. I think we're going to be on a, I mean, a bit of a hiatus until the flip of the year. I'm taking a couple weeks off for the holidays, but, um, we'll come back in hot after the flip of the year. So, um, thanks everybody for listening. Be sure to uh, keep tuning in for all the race recaps and the regular stuff. And uh, thanks, Bruce. Appreciate it.
No problem. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to doing this. It's always fun to talk about snowcross racing.